Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 23 of the Kennedy Mile Report, brought to you by our great sponsor, Bill for Time. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Tom, we've been talking about hardware and trends in recent episodes. We thought it'd be good to turn our attention back to software. We want to talk about a whole new category of software that many lawyers might not know that much about, but actually might be a promising alternative, especially in these tough economic times. That's right, Dennis. In this episode, we will talk about open source software, what it is and whether it's right for lawyers right now. In our second segment, we'll have another installment of things we've been talking about. And as usual, we'll end with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can begin to use as soon as this podcast is over. But on to our main topic, open source. Dennis, I will admit that although I use some open source programs, I'm not any kind of an expert when it comes to talking about how open source software differs from commercial software and and why lawyers should care about it, frankly. So for this episode, I'm going to play the student uh, with carefully placed questions and have you kind of explain open source to us and, and, and what you think we need to know about it. First of all, tell us, explain what is open source for those who don't know what it is and why are we talking about it in the first place? Well, open source has been described as both a licensing, uh, a style of licensing and a philosophy about software in general. So there's two com- two parts of it. You would just take the, the, the meaning of the term apart. So it's open and source. And so source refers here to source code. So software, as, as many of our listeners will know, comes in an object code format, which is what the computer runs. And then there's also source code, which is what, what the programmers write. And they might have their comments, but it, it actually is, it, it includes everything about how they program. And so somebody, and it's the human readable version. And so to have access to that makes the software more understandable. Then there's an open element to open source. And so as, as you mentioned, it's, it's contrasted with commercial or proprietary software. So open means that it's it's out there in the world that people can use. There's a great essay, if you want to understand open source and, and the theory behind it, called The Cathedral and the Bazaar by, by Eric Raymond. And it sets up the distinction between the cathedral, which is built top down, everybody has a job to do, uh, things are done uh, by specific plan. Think of commercial software or Microsoft software as, a, as an example of that, versus the bazaar, that sort of open, free market, everybody contributing a little bit. And that's where open source comes in, that sort of bizarre model um, and bizarre in terms of marketplace, not bizarre uh, way approach to software. You know, I've I've been reading lately that uh, that open source is becoming a very popular alternative for some businesses and some entities. I saw in the news just a couple of weeks ago that San Francisco was going to uh, have the nation's first open source software policy for city government, where they now require all their departments to consider open source software equally with their commercial products. Let's talk for a minute about the differences between open source and commercial in terms 
terms of the licenses, when I buy software, uh, I know that I'm going to get a license that allows me to use that on one or, or two computers, depending on how my license is phrased. How does the open source community deal with the licensing and, and, and why is that important? Well, in open source, the, the best way to think about it is that there are some uh, just a couple very standard types of licenses. And so as a develop the software developer is going to pick one of the open source licenses and apply it to their software. So you're not doing a custom agreement, a commercial agreement with its own specific complicated terms. People in the open source movement are picking, uh, there might be a total of 60 of them. I sort of divide open source into about four you know, types of licenses are four families of licenses. And, and we'll go into that in a, in a little bit, but it's a, it's, you, you have a certainty about what the type of license it is, and there's not variation. So as a developer, I'm picking that license and I'm applying it to my software. So I don't have that variation and I know what to expect and I can't negotiate that. I mean, it's open source. So that, that license just applies, but along with the open source, there's a, a couple, uh, and it has to meet something called the open source definition, which means things like source code is available. I have the ability to modify it. Um, lots of different things that were really geared toward programmers. Um, but there's a something called there's a, a freedom in the approach. So a lot of open source software is free, as they say. And when they when uh, open source people talk about free, they mean free as in freedom. And not free as in beer, although typically why people are looking at open source now is that it most of the time is free as in beer. It has no cost. Well, and, and I guess my question coming as the, 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 the learner and possible skeptic of open source is why do we need to know about these different licenses? I mean, we're going to go through the different types, I imagine, in just a second. But why is it important that lawyers have an understanding about what these licenses are? How does that affect them in their practice? Well, because I think in general, you know, and Tom, you know that my practice or in all my work relates to software licenses. So I think software yep. licenses are incredibly important and, and to understand and, and really interesting at the same time. So there are implications that you need to understand. Now, as the user of open source software, um, you have a little bit less of concern about that once you understand what they are. But typically in open source, there's going to be no warranty. It's going to be given to you as is, very, uh, you know, Spartan terms, not a lot of detail, um, but certain things that, that you can you can expect. If you're going to use open source as a developer or you have clients that are, are using open source, you want to understand because there are really some significant implications um, if you use open source in the development process. I think for this podcast, we're, we're going to focus really on how on lawyers using uh, these types of programs and how it, it might uh, help you in your practice and, and not go into a lot of detail uh, on the specific licenses. But but uh, well, then you do you want to just go ahead then just for for sake of of letting them know what are what are the types of licenses? You said there were four that you were kind of going to concentrate on. Tell us a little bit about each one. There's sort of an approach, a historical approach to to open source. And that, I think, really helps you understand what was going on. So back in the early days, and this will be in the 80s, primarily back when, you know, software was distributed on on big tapes, the idea was that. Uh, 
everybody sort of shared that software and you needed to look at the source code and make changes to make it work in your environment and on your machine. And so uh, people were very, programmers were very free about contributing uh, software, making it freely available, uh, allowing people to change it. And then as things became more commercial, what they found was that software that they had written became part of some commercial product that they had to pay access uh, to access stuff they had written themselves. And so open source developed around that. And so there's there's sort of two key principles to think about and to understand open source. One is making it freely available so people can use it and modify the source code. So that's the, that's one key aspect in all the open source licenses. And the other thing is that people cared about attribution. So if I contributed or I created some software, I wanted to be sure that I got credit for that. And so all the licenses really flow a, a lot from those two concepts. So I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but basically the different types of families are something called the general public license, which is uh, developed on the East Coast. Their approach was that if you used their, the open source software, then it needed to stay open source. That's the key part of it. It's really important in the, the, uh, the world of development because um, you can't really incorporate this software into something else without applying the GPL to what you create. It's a huge issue out there. On the West Coast, they developed the BSD license, it's called, which is the Berkeley Software Distribution License. And they were a lot looser about that. So they just said, as long as you give us uh, attribution, you can use it however you want. And so that can be used in many ways and incorporated into other software. Um, so those are sort of the, the two ends of the spectrum. Um, you also have something called the Apache license, and uh, which relates to the Apache web server, which some people say is part of the software that runs the internet. It's it's more in that sort of West Coast approach. And then in the middle, you have some commercial, uh, where people try to say, how can we use open source more easily in business? And you have the the sort of Netscape Mozilla licenses. Um, so those are those are the main families. All right, we've been talking about this for a little bit. Let's let's uh, let's dig into into specific software and the types of software that is considered to be open source. You know, I I do use uh, Mozilla Firefox, and I know that's an open source product. We use I'm using right now Audacity to record this audio, uh, a very simple, easy to use, but also very powerful uh, audio editing software. To, uh, what are some of the other examples of open source that our listeners might be familiar with? Well, sort of the big names are Linux, the operating system. Uh, some people consider an alternative to, to Windows. The Apache web server, a lot of internet tools. There's a, a really commonly used uh, and powerful database called MySQL, MySQL. Uh, several of the browsers, Firefox and Chrome. A lot of people probably know that the, the Mac OS has a lot of open source uh, in it. And as an alternative to, to Microsoft Office, people are looking at something called OpenOffice, which is a, the open source example of, of a, a, an office suite of products. So how, how are open source tools useful for lawyers? We've talked about some of them. Some of them, I, no doubt, lawyers are already using. But why is it important to you, to me, that 
uh, that that lawyers start thinking about using open source tools in their practice? Well, I think it's it's the free as in beer as opposed to the the free and freedom that will be the the initial attraction for open source. And so I think you run into a lot of uh, places where you have the need for a specific tool that you don't really want to pay for or you want to try to see whether it's worthwhile. I mean, Audacity is a great example. You just want to record some things or or edit some audio. You don't want really want to buy a several hundred dollar program just to see whether it works for you. You'd like to try something that's free and you know, now the open source tools, a lot of them have a long history. Uh, there's a community that's built up around them and, and they're, they get great reviews. So there's some great tools out there. It, I had this classic example last week where my daughter deleted some pictures off of the, uh, the memory card on her camera. And I was able to go out and find a really highly rated open source data recovery tool where I was able to go in and, and recover uh, those deleted files. Didn't cost me anything. And I actually tried two of them um, to see which one worked best for me. But it's something I, I hopefully only need to use once. It was free. Um, and I didn't have to, to go out and buy something and look at a lot of reviews. I just found a, a great little open source tool that works. And I, I think that is one of the places that open source is attractive. And then some of the other tools make sense as, as a really significant uh, potential cost savings tool um, in other areas. I know there's some experimentation with open office as an alternative. Um, in some places, it does make sense to use Linux. So there's a lot of experimentation out there, but I think people look at it as kind of a a free alternative, at least in terms of acquisition. But I think that raises one of your main issues with open source, right, Tom? Well, my, my, I have really two main issues with open source. I, I, I may have more, but I'm going to just talk about two of them right now. Um, and, and that is, I think that open source is probably not, um, a good option for the larger firms. I think, and you, you've been talking, uh, we've both been talking this whole episode about lawyers wanting, being interested in using free software. So that, that gravitates more towards the solo and small firm lawyer. Large firms are going to have trouble converting to open source, in my opinion. It's it, the cost of moving, even though the software may be free, um, the soft costs will be potentially tremendous because having to install all the software, all the all the time spent by IT in doing that, the training uh, that uh, the attorneys and the staff will have to go through, the, the costs are, are, are pretty uh, are, are pretty steep in terms of, of what would have to be done just to change to a new way of of doing things. I see, though, that solos and small firms are less vulnerable to that problem. They'd be easier to, to, to bring in a new piece of software, install it, implement it, and start using it without a whole lot of problems. Here's the, the, the fundamental issue that I have as far as law firms are concerned is the lack of support. The fact that most open source uh, products have reasonably good forums with a community of users who try to help each other out and I make use of those all the time. When I have a problem with open source software that I'm working on, I will inevitably go to the forums, ask a question. Sometimes I get great responses. Sometimes I don't. Lawyers need a good support source. You know, if, if, if I'm using Microsoft Office in a law firm, I know that my IT folks are going to know how to use it or I'm going to be able to find somebody out there who can help me 
come in and train me on on Word or on Excel or help me with specific issues that come come up with that. I don't know that I would be able to find a good open office consultant. They're probably out there, but they're probably not as as plentiful as uh, as other types of consultants. So I think that that before you start using open source software on a wide basis, consider are you able to support yourself? Are you satisfied with the support you're getting? You would get from an open source community forum and and, and the limited amount of support that they offer. Uh, I think those are really important questions um, that you need to ask before you do this. Uh, Dennis, take us uh, take us out with your final thoughts on open source software. Well, I was just going to mention that people might also consider their last experience calling in for customer support with from a commercial vendor too. In in comparison, that's true. Yeah, not I, always I agree with you. You're I, right. I, I think a wholesale replacement is is probably not in the cards for most people. What I look at it is is a place where you can get some some tools to get you up to speed, try some areas, project management, other things. Um, where open source just is a, a great way to experiment, is a potential way to to save. And also, there are just some excellent programs out there. Agreed. What I usually recommend to people is they go to to SourceForge. Um, is the site. We'll put the 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 link in into the show notes. But that, and just do some uh, ex- experimentation and some searching. See how many programs are out there now in the open source category and how they may fit something that you need. And my little example of finding a data recovery tool is a is a perfect way uh, to enter the world of open source and also just a little awareness. You know that you you may already be using great programs like Firefox, Chrome, and and other things and um, you know, most of the internet is running on open source. So it, it's a, a great place to investigate, especially for people who like to experiment a little bit with technology. I, I do like SourceForge and have used it on many occasions. So I, I agree. That's a place where our listeners should go. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our sponsor, Bill for Time. Bill for Time tracks, organizes, and invoices your billable time online. It's accessible, customizable, and mobile. Qualities you need when you're in and out of the office. All Legal Talk Network listeners get a total of 60 days free for the light or professional version. Go to billfortime.com slash legaltalk and type in Legal Talk as the promo code to take advantage of this special offer. That's bill, the number four, time.com slash legaltalk and use Legal Talk as the promo code. Don't miss out on the latest in new media marketing opportunities for your firm. Contact Deb Curran at 781-551-9960 and learn all about the Web 2.0 revolution. And welcome back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. Tom, let's do another installment of our What Tom and Dennis Have Been Talking About segment. In this segment, we're going to see if time can help me understand the new social media phenomenon called Foursquare. That's right. Uh, in the first half of the show, we went highbrow with open source, and now we're going to drag it down into the gutter with a game called Foursquare. Um, Dennis has been asking me about this, and, and I'm not sure I can completely explain it, but I'm going to try to do it in two minutes or less. Foursquare is a location-based game that has shown up recently on the iPhone, uh, Android phones. It's also available for the BlackBerry. It's location-based because it uses the GPS in your phone to figure out where you are. You, Wherever you happen to be, if you're in a, in a 
store, in the courthouse, whether you're at uh, a restaurant, you check into that place. You check into that location and you get points for checking into that location. Um, you can leave a tip uh, to say, you know, try the fajitas at this Mexican restaurant uh, or, or you know, make sure you bring some food onto the plane before you uh, leave this airport uh, because you won't be getting anything on the plane. Uh, you compete against your friends. The game is against your friends in a ge geographic area. So I have several friends in the Dallas area and we compete for points and it's a weekly competition that at the end of each week uh, we see who has the most points and uh, and that's about it. So for those of us who use it, uh, it's really just sort of an interesting game and uh, that people can show to use to show where they happen to be and, and what places they happen to frequent. Where I think it becomes intriguing are the possibilities to interact with these businesses where you're checking in. The more times you check into a place, you become what they call the mayor. Uh, the, you can become the mayor of your McDonald's or the mayor of your doctor's office or the mayor of anything that you want. Uh, but there are some interesting opportunities. For example, there's a, a North Carolina restaurant that is offering free food to whoever happens to be its mayor. What a great idea to be able to have people uh, come in and compete because the others were going, will compete to become the mayor. So, you know, arguably they're going to be coming in as often as they can and they really only have to give free food to one person. So great way to get new business and, uh, and to have people in there's uh, Foursquare also has new agreements with other companies like Bravo, um, Zagat's, uh, they even have one with the New York Times for the Vancouver Olympics. So they're bringing in some interesting names to, uh, to, to, to bring to their users and users can get different badges and points for checking into places that are sponsored by these companies. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I, this actually is an eye opener for me, the, the game aspect of this, because I, my understanding of Foursquare was it was the location based tool, but you'd be able to tell that other of your, say, friends and followers are in the same area. So it in enabled you to meet face to face in easier ways. Is that is that part of it or I'm just No, that's part of it and that's something that I think some people actually would become a little bit wary of because I can look down my my list on my iPhone right now and I can find where people are. In fact, at Christmas time I I got a little ping message to me saying that one of my friends was going to be at a restaurant that I actually was going to in 30 minutes so I knew to look for her when I got there. So it's it does have that uh, uh, that that capability but really it's it's put in terms of a game I'll, albeit not with much reward other than other than points. There are a couple of other tools and, and Foursquare is not the only game in town. Um, there are, there's a, 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 an app called GoWalla, which uh, has a, is a little bit more advanced as a game. You can get things at different locations and leave things. They will be virtual things that you're getting and leaving. So you can't don't actually get anything tangible. Uh, Yelp, the dining site now has the ability to check in wherever you happen to be and get points for that as well. And then just today, I, I learned about a new interesting one from Doug Cornelius called Own This World. And Own This World takes the best of, of Foursquare and turns it into the game of risk. So the more places you, uh, you check in, you can actually gain arm armies for that particular area and you build up your armies in certain areas to uh, defeat others. Uh, so an interesting twist on the game. I think that uh, it's a lot of fun. I have fun when I go check in. I like seeing where all my friends are. Uh, I'm intrigued by the business possibilities of it. But uh, after all, I think it's just a game. Well, can you be like the mayor of the federal courthouse? Maybe that's something that would be appealing to some lawyers. 
You can. You can be the mayor of any place. I see people who are the mayor of their own homes, which I think is cheating, but uh, but such that it, it is what it is. You know, the location-based thing is is a big and coming thing, and it's another variant on social media. And, and you know, I, I think that both of us are really good at experimenting with these things. I, the location stuff, though, is – I'm really wary of it, I, I have to admit. So it's going to take me some convincing – it's another thing, though. It feels like Twitter did at the beginning where I see the potential value of this at something like a conference, but I'm not sure that I want – to have that location-based stuff going on with me in in real life. And then, Tom, as you know, we've joked about it, is that Foursquare seems to feed some of these, the location things and your mayorship of this and that through your Twitter feed. So it's kind of odd to get these little updates about where you've been and that you're, you know, you've been at the drugstore and the doctor's office and this restaurant and that restaurant. And I'm just not... I'm I'm not that comfortable with that yet. Nope, I'm I'm getting used to it. I prefer not to have that information go out through Twitter and I actually need to go and change a setting I think in there that sends that out, but it will tell you if you become the mayor of I think I became the mayor of a pharmacy this week and uh but when I did that uh it broadcast it to all my Twitter friends and I will tell you I got a fair amount of grief uh, for that mayorship. Well, we'll see if you can become the mayor of Tech Show on Foursquare at ABA, ABA Tech Show in a, a month or two. But, we'll uh, see. I may I may have some competition for that. Uh-huh. Well, let's go on to our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation you can use the second the podcast ends. Tom, take it away. I have two parting shots very quickly. Uh, the first one is a website called fillnypdf.com. It is a PDF editor. Uh, how many times do you get a form that's in a PDF format, but it actually isn't a fillable form? You can you can use Acrobat to create a fillable form, but a lot of companies will post PDF forms that you need to fill out that uh, that aren't uh, that aren't able to capable of being filled out. If you don't have Acrobat and you want to use something different, try fill any PDF. You can actually select a form and it will create a fillable form for you. The other one is actually an interesting uh, site that I found from uh, Microsoft Office, which is a free picture and text effects template for PowerPoint 2007. So it's a template with a number of different slides that show really professional, advanced um, effects and, 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 and photos that you can use in particular presentations that you're giving. The nice thing, and I think the interesting thing about it is in that the they, they all have countdown timers so that you can... Uh, uh, have mid presentation breaks, and then each slide contains instructions to help you actually customize the slides or even recreate them yourself. So, a great uh, instructional tool from Microsoft. Dennis. You know, those of us who do the 60 legal technology tips in 60 minutes things probably for the last 10 years or so have really made a living off of using the pace special tip as a way to, as this tip that's, <laughs> that people enthusiastically, uh, who don't know about it, are enthusiastic about it and always give you good reviews on. Well, I have an, a new one that I may in future years come up to, to rival pace special, uh, maybe. Uh, the, one of the great developments for me in browsers is the tabbed browsing. So you can have multiple tabs opening instead of multiple browsers opening. So you have a bunch of tabs inside one one browser instance as opposed to 20 different uh, browsers open at the same time. It's a great thing. And I especially like it when I'm using Google Reader because then I just I see things that are interesting and I just open them up in a new tab and I keep reading Google Reader and then I go back and I look at the things in, in the the 
the different tabs. Well, one thing is with the tab browsing, it's very easy to accidentally close one of those tabs. And if you've done what I've done in Google Reader, there's no way to get back to to what where you were. You can't use the back or anything because you're in these different tabs. And so what I found is that if you do the simple keyboard key, um, and I use the, the, the term simple loosely here, called, and you, you hit the control key, the shift key, and the T key all at the same time, you restore that little, that tab that you closed, that you accidentally closed. And it's great. Um, it, it's a great little tool to, to uh, take care of something where you're just going like, oh, I can't believe I did that. And I checked it last night. It, it definitely works in Firefox. It definitely works in the Google Chrome browser, and it works in Internet Explorer. doesn't seem to work in the Safari browser, but just a great little tip to uh, for those of you who like tab browsing to take care of one of the biggest annoyances out there. Great tip. Hopefully, uh, it might, it will dethrone Pay Special as the hot tip at 60 tips in 60 minutes. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Links to the topics we discussed today, as well as how to follow us on our blogs or on Twitter, will be available on our show notes wiki, located at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com. So until the next podcast... I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network, the premier online legal media network. And we want you to be opening to listen to more of our episodes of this podcast and telling your friends and colleagues about it. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.